Welcome to the British Sports Car Podcast. Join me, Sarah, and Nick, our resident sports car expert, as we bring you all the latest news from the top tiers of British motorsport, including British GT, GT Cup and Brick Car, as well as British motorsport interests from around the world. Welcome to the latest episode of the British Sports Car Podcast. If you are tuning in for the first time, then welcome. And if you're returning, then welcome back. I'm Sarah. And I'm Nick. And this episode of the British Sports Car Podcast takes a bit of a different focus because we're we're kind of leading on the GT Cup Championship. We've got a look at the news in GT Cup and then an interview with a GT Cup team uh, team manager, team principal. And then we're going to take a look at some of the British GT news. What you're going to find missing this time is any particular news about Britcar, because by the time this episode goes out, the first races of the season will be in the books. So we'll get the information for you there on who won what instead. GT Cup News. So GT Cup wise, let's start off with the GT Hate class, which, as we discussed in our last episode, is homologated GT4 cars to manufacturer specs. Uh, so we've had a few entries confirmed since our last episode. Nick, do you want to talk us through them? The first thing about GTH in GT Cup is that we've got some more diversity coming in. Last time we ran through it, there was seven McLarens and one Mercedes. That one Mercedes not having any drivers against it either. So really, it was a seven McLaren class. Um, All the cars that have been confirmed, and there have been five, are German built. So there's not a single McLaren in the bunch. Uh, The first two to be confirmed are numbers 68 and 69. We've got three of the four drivers confirmed against these. John Curry in the 68 car, Chris Hart and Stephen Walton in the number 69 car, both run by Make Happen Racing. They are Mercedes AMG GT4s entered into GTH. We've also got the number 86 car uh, from Par Motorsports. It's Timothy Kresic and John Diamond. Uh, They are in a Porsche Cayman GT4. Now, I can't tell from the image that's been released on GT Cup's Facebook page whether it is the previous generation Cayman GT4, which is eligible for the Sprint Cup Challenge, or whether it is a brand new car to the 2022 spec like Team Park were rented into British GT. We've got 24-7 Motorsport. Now, they've raced in GT Cup before, and I'm pretty certain I've seen them on a brick car entry list or two. Um, David Franklin and Adriano Medeiros in an Audi R8 LMS GT4. That's a number 91 car. And then the number 39 car. This is track focused. Last time I saw these guys, they were running a KTM in GT4 and British GT. Um, But it's a Mercedes AMG that they've got for GT Cup 
for Darren Kell and James Kell. James Kell, of course, having raced in British GT for the four. So moving on, then, we've got a few entries confirmed in GT3 class as well. Uh, we don't have any new entries confirmed in any of the other classes that participate in GT Cup as yet. Uh, so, Nick, do you want to talk us through what we've got so far? Yes, and it's it's quite a British GT announcement, this one, to be honest. Uh, Team Abba Racing, defending champions in... GT3 in GT Cup. They're back, Richard and Sam Neary, um, with obviously Mercedes AMG GT3. We've also got Morgan Tilbrook and Marcus Clutton in Duro Motorsport in the 66 car. That's the McLaren 720S GT3. And both of those entries are running dual campaigns, GT Cup and British GT. We've had an announcement of Graham Tilly and Will Tregurtha, joined by Senan Fielding. This is the TechServe Triple uh, M Motorsport run car, the number four car. And anybody that has followed GT Cup is about to say that that's a Nissan GTR, Nismo GT, Nismo GT3, GTR. Um, lots of letters involved, <laughs> etc. But they've sold the Nis- Nissan or they've stopped running the Nissan or for some reason they are not running the Nissan. They've got a new car for 2022, a Mercedes AMG GT3 Evo. The other car that has been confirmed in GT3 for for GT Cup is the number 23. This is Ian Campbell and Ollie Webb in a McLaren 720S GT3. They're graduating from the GTH class they contested last year in in the McLaren 570 GT4, run by Greystone GT. And it just so happens that the next thing we're going to do also relates to Greystone GT. So I'm really pleased to be able to welcome our first guest of 2022 and also officially of the British Sports Car Podcast. Uh, We've got the team principal of Greystone GT with us, Mark McLaughlin. So hi, Mark. Hi, hi, and uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. It's great to have you. Uh, Nick's going to do quite a bit of the talking on this one. Uh, so I'll pass over to Nick. Great. Yeah. Well, well, welcome to, to to the podcast, Mark. Thank you for, for for coming on, and it's all been arranged at quite short notice as well. Um, but I suppose the first question I've got for you is: I've, I've heard that you've got got some racing prowess, that you've beaten a certain seven-time world champion. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like people have been spreading rumours, but uh, yeah, no, you. Um, I guess what you're suggesting there is that I, I used to race myself, but mm-hmm. um, I actually looked at um, uh, renewing my license last year, mm-hmm. and I realised that it lapsed for about I think it was 17 years. So, uh, so I haven't uh, haven't raced for a very long time. But yeah, I started um, in motorsport at the age of 10, kart racer. Uh, like most people, I guess, getting involved at that age, you know, aspirations of being a Formula One driver and uh, the usual, the usual things that go with that. But um, yeah, I raced until my early twenties, single seaters, uh, and then um, left in 2002 was my last full season of racing as a driver, and then uh, went off and um, you know pursued other uh, goals. Still within motorsport, of course. So, thirty years later, I'm I'm still here. But um, but yeah, did a bit of driving back in the day. 
Great. So does that help with the running of the of the team and the engineering of the cars and things like that, having that that seat feel of your own, even if it is a little while ago? Yeah, um, I, I definitely would say that, you know, motorsport is um, is something that, you know, you have to be passionate about to have any level of success in. And, um, you know, it, it is very niche. So I, I definitely would say that, you know, with the role that I'm doing at the minute and um, and the, the team operations as they are, there's, there's no doubt that having... 30 years of experience at some point, you know, it, it definitely comes, um, yeah, it comes through and, and it helps. Um, with regards to the engineering, I, I should confess that I don't really get involved in the, in the engineering at all, but, you know, I think it's impossible to run a team and, um, and not have some interest in the performance aspect. And of course, you know, we're here to, uh, to achieve a lot of different uh, goals, but one of them is to be successful on track. And I think, um, rather than it just being a case of being an ex-driver, it's more a case of being a competitor at heart, you know, and, um, you know, racing from such an early age um, definitely helps in what is an incredibly tough industry to survive, let alone be successful. So, yeah, I think, um, I think the experience helps, but more from a competitive point of view and just understanding the nuances of the sport rather than uh, specifically about the driving, because uh, fortunately I can uh, leave that to other people who are better qualified or certainly more recently qualified as well. So, so going more directly to, to, to Greystone, there, there's quite a few aspects to the business, isn't there? Didn't you start off doing track days and testing and then sort of spawn a race team, and which is, which is growing. How did Correct. Greystone start off? Well, you're right uh, in that Greystone GT has definitely uh, quite an unconventional approach to um, to motorsport in general and how we've how we've developed um, it. You know that was all part of uh, a plan that um, you know has been forming for a, a few years even before we started. But you're right in that um, we started by organising supercar track days. And, and that was an idea that started to develop when I was in 2015, when I was, I was actually working at McLaren at the time and myself and uh, the people who now make up the core team at Greystone GT realized that there was a, a certain area of the uh, motorsport industry that we felt was, um, you know, being overlooked a little bit. And it just so happened that the, uh, the people in the team, uh, myself and my crew, had some unique skill sets that we we just thought that we would be able to, uh, you know, be well, well positioned to provide a solution. Um, and what I mean by that is, like everything in motorsport in the UK, the track day market and the track day organisers um, is quite a mature industry. You know, there's lots of operators doing a, a really good job. Uh, but generally speaking, most of them focus on the high volume market and they certainly did um back uh, back when we started um which meant that you know if you have a high performance high powered high value supercar um and you want to have an opportunity to use it to its full potential but clearly you can't do that on the road you know they're so fast nowadays that you know it's, it's just it's not safe and it's not appropriate to do that and a lot of people you know were just looking for an opportunity to to 
to put the car through their paces, but were nervous about going to uh, a high volume general admission track day where you can be on track with, you know, in excess of 100 cars, high closing speeds and, um, and so on. So we, we started um, the supercar track day program in 2017. And the intention there was to, to offer a, an events program where people can bring high value, high performance supercars and drive them safely um, to their full potential without really being concerned about high closing speeds and you know, lots of traffic on the circuit. Um, and, it's, and it's worked really well. Uh, we're well positioned because you know, it is a very niche area of the industry, but because of my background and, um, and that of my core crew, we were fortunate in that we had uh, a really good network of people who were you know, just crying out for that. So we were able to put it together in, I think, um, in ways that others had tried and not been able to do in the past. And um, fortunately, it, it really took off. So, um, so that's how we started. But, but actually, as well as you know, looking to serve that, that sector, that there was always uh, another part of the business, which was we wanted to develop our race team operation. And, you know, we wanted to do something different. You know, we wanted to uh, recognize that the, the quality of competition on the track in the UK is incredibly high. So actually just, just to come in and try and do exactly what several other teams are already doing and had done before didn't seem that exciting a prospect. So, so for us, the, um, the, the interesting thing about, what I think we do that's, that's been different over the last few years is we've, we've looked to put together a, a race team that where the drivers are, you know, predominantly ones that we've actually bought into the sport, you know, through the track day program. And we've been on a journey and we've actually taken those drivers from absolute rookie, in some cases, never having driven anything on track before and bring them into track day driving, uh, introduce them to, motorsport and the possibilities and, and basically give an opportunity to some drivers who otherwise wouldn't even know that that opportunity existed and take them on a journey and bring them into motorsport and uh, and that's why the the general philosophy and the that the makeup of our team appears to be different from um, a lot of the other teams that are out there who are obviously doing a fantastic job but we're just looking to do something slightly different Obviously, a successful model, but it's one that's sort of captured other people's attention. Uh, Johnny Molan with Red River Sport. It's almost certain, almost what Paddock, Paddock Motorsport are trying to do as well now, isn't it? To bring people through from having never driven in a racing setting before and bring, and bring them forward. Um, obviously, you always planned on building a race team, and there's more to a race team than just having the truck and the tools and two guys that share a car and things like that. What's it like trying to source the talent you're going to need to to handle the engineering with the cars and the oily oily parts of the car? I understand that you've uh, you've been picking from from some pretty highly qualified people, sort of Formula E and IMSA and that sort of thing, just from yeah. from, from what your guys have sent over to us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's as I said earlier, uh, it's well known that you know it's not easy to be successful in UK. UK motorsport uh, and particularly in the UK GT racing scene, which is you know particularly competitive right now. Um, but the way that we've approached it is the way that we've approached everything in in uh, the last few years since we started, which is it's all built around culture and and the people. And you know it's you know if you have a, a team of people who 
uh, have got the capability and experience to operate at the highest level uh, and you put the right processes in place and you know you have a, a strong work ethic then then surely the successful will come eventually that's certainly how we've approached it um, and we've been fortunate in being able to attract some some great talent uh, and I think that's um, that is down to that culture and the general approach you know we certainly we're still growing you know very very much so we're uh, the race team operation is is still very new, so um, we've got a long way to go. But the the team we've got are brilliant, um, and um, yes, you, you you touched on it there. But uh, you know some some key people that we've got in our team are uh, race team manager uh, Tim Mullen, who I've worked with for a number of years across multiple projects. Is a you know uh, former multiple champion race driver, British GT champion, of course, as as you'll know. McLaren factory driver, uh, driven for Ferrari, uh, multiple Le Mans finisher, and been on the podium at Le Mans amongst other big race achievements. But um, worked with me at McLaren, and um, together uh, we ran a, a number of programs. And it was during that uh, process that Tim got involved in team management and um, was overseeing our our program that was racing in what was obviously then called Blanc Pan and now GT World Challenge, and. Um, you know, he's been absolutely integral to um, helping to develop that culture. And um, and through that, we've been able to attract further talent. And um, I think you're probably referring to Gary Davis, who's our chief engineer, um, who's joined us just now from Formula E. And before that, a highly successful chief engineer at a factory IMSA team. So, you know, we're, you know, right now, um, if you look at uh, our, our record on paper, you know, 18 months ago, we didn't even have a workshop or a single employee outside of, um, you know, the, the contractor core crew. Um, you know, now we've done a full season of GT Cup plus uh, some selected other races. But the the level of um, talent that we've got, and that was just to name a couple, of course, that goes through the whole team from race engineers and technicians, operations staff, back office, um, uh, and every aspect of the business. Every, everybody makes a difference. And I'm... Um, you know, fortunate to say that everybody in the team is absolutely first rate. And um, and as I said, hopefully, you know, time will tell, but that, that should um, bring the results on track. So, uh, so yeah, we've, we've, I've been very lucky, uh, built a great team um, and, um, yeah, looking forward to the, the season ahead. So last season was was GT4, wasn't it? Uh, GT, GT Cup, uh, GTH. And were you in European GT4 then as well, or was that new for this year? No, so last year, our first race was at the, as a team, was at the first round of the GT Cup Championship. And we had two full season entries. Uh, both were in the GTH class with the 570S McLaren GC4. I should say, not only was the team new as, a, mm -hmm. as an organization, but actually so were the, the drivers. You know, both of our drivers for the full season program were absolute rookies. You know, we, it was quite a challenge uh, mm -hmm. for, for them and the team. And I've got to say, uh, they did an absolutely fantastic job. It happened to coincide with GT Cup having its most competitive season ever. And if you look at the lineup of drivers, it was uh, almost unbelievable, really. And it, I think at Brands Hatch GP circuit, there was nearly 50 cars on the grid at what was uh, our driver's second ever race meeting. So um, Only slightly intimidating that circuit with that many cars. Yes, absolutely. And of course, you can't really tested at Brands GP circuit. So it was completely new to the to the guys. And uh, really their achievements have been amazing uh, over the last year. 
Um, but to answer your question, we um, we raced in GT Cup for the full season. Uh, we had uh, additional drivers join us throughout the season. So we actually ran five cars in total. And at round six, we had all five cars racing. And um, again, all complete rookies really going in at the deep end and setting themselves uh, you know, a real challenge. And um, the res- res- results were brilliant. And then, and, and then we did um, some international racing. Uh, we entered the, the two rounds of the Pure McLaren GT race series, which is an FIA uh, international level race series. Uh, we entered both of those races, both in uh, Portimao in September and at Circuit of the Americas in Texas in November. Um, and, um, and then, you know, in 2022, we've used that as a springboard to get into um, some other championships as well, of which one of them is European GT4, as you mentioned. Yeah. So a lot of teams start off as you did, probably not growing quite so quickly. They, they usually sort of go into a series, brick car, maybe GT Cup level, run one car for a year, expand to two the next year, etc. And then they start to either spread out in the class that they're in or step up a class. You've decided to take the hard route here, haven't you? In that yeah. we've, we've not only expanded in the GT4 space, but also stepped into the GT3 space. And, and even there with two entries in two different, very competitive series. What's this year's challenge looking like for you? Well, uh, you're absolutely right. And uh, I did say that we like a challenge. Uh, we, we like to be busy and, uh, you know, we're competitors. You know, we're passionate about motorsport. So, you know, we, we want to race and we want to experience different championships. And, and I think the nature of the, the people that we've got in the team, and I mentioned the culture is, you know, we want to push ourselves and, um, and take risks and uh, calculated ones, of course. But, um, you know, so that's not to say that what we're doing is the right way and what other teams are doing is not. Um, uh, but but absolutely we, we like a challenge the other thing i think as well that is worth pointing out is that you know we're, we're looking to um challenge ourselves as uh you know on the business side as well you know we, we want to grow our operations so that we can offer you know real uh career prospects and um, security and uh, opportunities for our workforce um, that go beyond the you know seasonal challenges of smaller team operations where you can be seriously affected by the comings and goings of uh, one or two uh, programs uh, and driver lineups and uh, it's it's really important you, you mentioned earlier about you know us being able to be fortunate and attract some some great talent and I think people were attracted by the fact that you know we have we have some scale uh, and ambition and uh, you know when we're, we're not just uh, you know, a two-car team, which uh, probably is the easiest way to go about um, chasing performance. But actually, you know, we want to build something that gives people uh, long-term futures and security and, uh, and and build a brand around it as well. So again, you know, we've got a, a long way to go and a lot of work ahead of us, but um, that is pretty much in line with uh, everything that we stand for. So again, to answer your question, what does the 2022 challenge look like? It's actually already started. Um, you know, we the first challenge that we took on this year was we competed in the Golf 12 Hours, uh, which was our first endurance race, full stop. But we decided to make it uh, our first international major high level race at the same time, um, and that was in January. And uh, you know, we we had a 
a, a real push to to make the best of that as we possibly could. Our driver lineup was brilliant. Um, Ian Campbell, who, if I can just, uh, I don't want to just single out uh, one of our drivers. No, no. I, if you if you didn't single out Ian, I would because isn't this the yeah. chap that made his racing debut with you at the first round of GT Cup? Correct. Actually, we we did actually um, uh, put Ian into a, a Mazda MX-5 race in December of 2020 because we we did think that maybe having his very first race being um, you know in in the GT car would be a lot to take in in one go. So we did one race in the absolute uh, freezing, pouring rain at, at Donington in December of 2020. But but ultimately, you know, his first uh, competitive GT race was the first round of GT Cup 2021, uh, alongside Mark Hopton, who also was in a similar position to Ian as a as a complete uh, racing rookie, albeit um, you know experienced track day driver. And um, yeah, and. Uh, and just to go back to golf 12 hours, you know, less than 12 months later, Ian um, has not only won the Pure McLaren Festival in Circuit of the Americas, uh, a track they'd never been to before and turned up. And that was his first race win. And again, it was at FIA level. And he decided to push himself even further and enter the golf 12 hours. And, um, you know, both he and the other drivers in the lineup and the team really, um, you know, didn't leave a stone unturned. We, we didn't underestimate the challenge and, uh, you know, we're respectful of the fact that we'd not raced there before. There were some brilliant teams uh, that we would be competing against and um, it wasn't going to be easy, but we, we really um, put a lot of effort into it and pleased to say that um, it, it went brilliantly. You know, we, we won the race. We led from the start. Um, fortunately, through the hard work of the team, there was no mistakes. The pit stops all went well. Ultimately, it was a pit strategy call that uh, got us a lap ahead in the first half of the six-hour race, and we held that lead to the end, and that was really one of the main deciding factors in, in the result. Um, mm. But um, the drivers didn't put a foot wrong. There wasn't a single spin. Not, nothing um, went wrong, actually, so it was uh, really enjoyable. Very very uh, tense for us to be racing at that level for the first time, but um ian i have to say did a cracking job and you know he was helped by um his pro driver ollie webb who's been with him since the start and uh, is absolutely in my opinion one of the best in the business he you know he's he's been with ian every step of the way and has been absolutely uh, instrumental in in ian's development um from uh from that first race through to golf 12 hours and uh, jamie clark who who's um, a driver that I've worked with in the past, and so is Tim in a previous program. He stepped in, having never driven the car, never been to the track before, um, turned up in Abu Dhabi, and again was unbelievably fast, no mistakes, and um, between the three of them, they um, they just had a faultless performance and, and won the race. So, so that was how the year started, uh, a real big challenge for us, um, and it went quite, uh, really well. And then... You know, looking ahead to this season, we are back in GT Cup again. Um, all five drivers that raced for us in GT Cup last year are back. So that's great to have some continuity there. And I'm really pleased that they've decided to stay on for another year with us. Um, they're all doing more racing this year than they did last year. Um, and as you say, uh, Ian's now taken the step to 720S GT3. And in addition to that, we're racing in British GT with one full season entry and um two one-off appearances for the second car 
and the European GT4 Championship, where we've got one full season entry uh, in the Pro-Am category and one half season entry, so doing three races. So it's um, it's pretty full on. So how many chassis are you running this year then? Well, in in the race team itself, we actually manage um, we, we manage twelve cars uh, in total, but actually it's eight cars that are competing. Um, in, in the championships uh, across those three championships this year so it's quite an undertaking yeah. but one that we've prepared for you know we we this was always in the plan from the sort of towards the end of last season so we've recruited uh we've built our infrastructure uh invested in people and equipment and we're actually moving into a, a bigger factory on the first of March, first of april so it's um yeah so I'm, I'm just checking calendars here and th- sitting and thinking that don't give you a lot of time to put the toolboxes in place before you've got to put them in a lorry, does it? Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, we're we're keeping the existing factory, so we're we're moving in. Uh, we're taking the bigger one next door so, as well, so it's not yeah. too much of an upheaval. It's uh, just um, yeah. allowing us to expand yeah. a little bit. It's, so it's, it's... Expansion rather than completely overhauling the business. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. British GT, obviously your your first season in British GT, going straight into the top class into into GT3 with yes. proven winners. Uh, yes. Our defending silver, silver am champions. I think for any team, it's it's got to be quite a daunting prospect going into a, a competition that's as fierce as, as British GT3 is. I mean, we've got, what, 14 confirmed cars in the top class so far. Um but having Stuart and Lewis in the car, that's that's got to be quite a help, isn't it? People that have proven that they can, that they can. Absolutely, win. yeah. No, we're we're really lucky to have that driver lineup, and um, you're right. British GT is incredibly competitive. You know, if we thought GT Cup was tough, you know, British GT is, as everybody knows, is a whole other level. In my opinion, the most competitive domestic GT race series in the world, and. Um, yeah, we're not underestimating the challenge at all. We, we've put a lot of effort into the preparation again, um, and uh, all we can do is focus on, on the inputs. You know, we, we've got a strong test program. We've got a great crew. Uh, as you mentioned, the driver lineup is brilliant. We've actually uh, worked with Stuart and Lewis uh, previously in, uh, in former areas of motorsport, and um, it's great to have them on board with their level of experience they're fantastic people to work with as well and um yeah we've got more testing to do and um more development work to do and you know i guess we'll find out where we stand at the first race but uh, as you say it's not that far ahead now do we have a, a targeted finishing position i mean no, defending I just... defending the silver am titles obviously probably Stuart yeah. is dull anything to do with the overall are we targeting top three or anything like that I, I think uh, I'll uh, go back to what I said uh, just now, which is, you know, look, in, in motorsport, you, you know, you don't get into it unless you have uh, an appetite to be to be winning. And, you know, that is absolutely what, as a team, uh, we're, we're here to do. And, um, you know, the drivers are, you know, investing a lot of time and effort into, into the programme and so are the team. So, you know, there's... There's absolutely no reason why we wouldn't be pushing ourselves to get the best result possible. But having said that, as I said, it's our first season. The competition is going to be unbelievably tough. And 
we have always been great believers in focusing on the inputs. So we've we've recruited the best people. We've got a really strong testing program, which has already started. And if we just keep focusing on on putting that level of effort in throughout the season, then we're confident that success will come eventually. Um, and I think it'd be it'd be wrong to just immediately focus on what positions we're going to finish. We just have to focus on what we're putting into the program at this stage and, and see how we end up at the after a race or two and uh, maybe ask us again then. Okay, I, I, I will do. I do a bit, a bit of a cheeky one for me, asking you to put a number on it straight away, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Typical <Yeah>. Nick. <laughs> good question. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. For all the latest news from sports car and endurance racing around the world, visit the checkeredflag.co.uk slash sportscars. With expert coverage of the World Endurance Championship, Porsche One Me Racing, the world of SRO Racing and Genetis, TCF Sportscars is your one-stop shop for GT and prototype news. Follow at TCF Sportscars on Twitter and get your latest stories direct to your feed today. So, it looks to be a, a really exciting year for you, and I'm guessing you're not planning on stopping growing anytime soon. So, onwards and upwards. Where's Where's Greystone GT racing in five years' time? Uh, well, ideal world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you mentioned that not being uh, that, that we might not uh, stop growing. I, I think it's important now that we consolidate. You know, we've been fortunate to take a big step for this year. I mean, we've we've picked up on a few of the driver pairings, but I have to say that you know we've we've got eight really strong driver pairings. You know, some of the um, the opportunities are uh, fantastic. You know, with the lineups that we've got across the multiple programs that we're doing, um, and I think it's important now that we focus on on that and don't get carried away with trying to grow any further um, before we've really made the most of the opportunities that we've got right now. So right now we're not looking to grow into anything other than what we're doing. But look, I'd be lying if I said that we didn't have aspirations to get to the the, the absolute top of the sport at some point. Uh, you know, uh, it's uh, there's, there's, a, there's an awful lot of um, levels above us that we've, uh, that, you know, that, that we can grow into given time. So yeah, I wouldn't want to put a limit on it at this stage. You know, we've just got to focus on what we're doing right now, uh, do the best job that we possibly can uh, reevaluate where we are at the end of the year and see what opportunities um, you know uh, appear at that point. But um, if you're asking me if we want to race internationally at GT3 level, um, then of course you know there, there's aspirations there, and uh, the whole team are uh, you know motivated to to take on whatever challenge uh, there is. But but I think for now it's a case of focusing on what we've got and uh, go and try and win some races. Thank you very much. I say my, my my slightly cheeky thought there was: Hang on, five years time, GT three cars can do twenty four hours of Spa, twenty four hours of Le Mans, twenty four hours of Daytona. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah. let me know we're in, in the GT. I love my endurance racing. What can I say? Yeah, <laughs> yeah the this year we, as you know, we're, we're doing the GT four European series mm-hmm. uh, with a very strong driver lineup, and um, you know we're we're confident that we're going to. Um, be able to challenge in that championship. Uh, it won't be won't be easy at all. And incred- you know the the grids are huge in that series, and there's some absolutely brilliant teams and drivers that will be up against. But of course, it's on the support package to GT World Challenge, and um, you know you can't 
be part of that um, environment and not be uh, attracted to want to compete at that level eventually. So we're all we're all motivated by that opportunity in the future. So um, where will we be in five years' time? You know, hopefully we will be racing um, at those levels. Uh, we won't um, we won't move away from our roots. You know, it's really important to us that we maintain the, um, the, the the staircase of opportunity that having the track day program uh, and our presence in you know domestic racing and GT Cup, uh, British GT, uh, will will always be um, interested in uh, having a presence there. But um, if opportunities come along to allow us to do international racing as well, then of course we'll we'll take it. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Sarah, did you have any questions? I don't think so. I've been quite quiet, but I've been quite fascinated listening to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think that as an ethos is is really, really good because having come into the sport relatively recently, and of course, Nick's brought me in at British GT level. So I'm now working backwards and going back down. But as a complete novice, not really knowing anything, but having spoken to a lot of people, they've all been involved with motorsport for ages. So to see people coming in, very much from the grassroots up that is quite inspiring for people as well because it really gives the actually this is something that I could do absolutely absolutely I think um and this is something that I as I said I picked up on and and so did um my my crew that that now make up the uh the Greystone GT team uh we, we picked up on this that there's an awful lot of people who have got um appetites and ambition to an, an interest to get involved in motorsport but but don't even know that it's possible mm. alone how to go about it um and actually to work with drivers who are you know i i think it's you know for us it is really important that we feel that we are bringing people into the sport who otherwise maybe wouldn't have had the opportunity or at least um, known, you know, the best way of going about it and, and bringing them, you know, in from, in some cases, I said, never having even driven on a track before and then helping them to enjoy motorsport um, in, a, in a safe environment and then giving them the guidance to um, get their race license uh, give them some opportunities to, you know, select what sort of level they want to get involved with. And we do that, you know, we literally take our drivers from getting their very first set of race overalls um, to getting race license, doing their first test day, you know, having their first experience of uh, a simulator um, and then, you know, their first race. And actually taking the drivers on that journey is it is very much part of the the excitement for us and mm. um you know if, if we can uh work with these drivers and you know keep taking them up to wherever it is that they want to set their targets um then then that's brilliant you know, it's, yeah. it's really exciting and um you know to go back to Nick's question a little bit earlier on you know I can tell you now that some of the drivers in the team have mentioned some of the championships that Nick's uh, talked about and of course you know when the time comes you know when they're ready you know we want to go on that journey with them so um so it's um it's more than just about racing it's about yeah. um bringing people in and going on the journey with them and um and it's it is satisfying you know to, i was gonna say that's got to be so yeah. rewarding in itself just to kind of watch the watch your drivers come from you know little baby rookies right through to winning 
yeah endurance racing yeah i mean um when we got our our first race win um which was in silverstone in august last year with rich mason and john lancaster i mean that was a significant uh significant turning point i think that really um you know showed the drivers that what mm. what is possible um and um you know and then moving on from there to um ian's win in um, in texas and then ian jamie and ollie winning um the golf 12 hours i mean it you know it, it was emotional it was great yeah so, uh, a, a huge amount of work from the team to set up from absolutely zero to being able to compete at that level in such a short space of time you know didn't it didn't happen by accident it was uh, a lot of graft um and um uh you know from the team and the drivers and it it is it's great to see that that progress and um you know the i, I should say as well that um we we talked about uh people and um uh, you know i have to mention the the pro drivers and the driver coaches that that we work with you know some of the people that we've got in our team it, it's almost unbelievable to think that mm. uh, the level of experience and expertise that we've been able to encourage to work with us which has been a, an absolute privilege but you know they they are very much part of that story as well. You know, very um, involved in taking the drivers on that journey, and um, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that, that's the challenge for those guys to to help uh, you know these really inexperienced drivers to fulfil their potential. But they uh, they do, and they are real assets to the business. Mm. I think the only other questions that I would have would be our questions of doom. I'm intrigued. So everyone that we interview on the show, whether in previous incarnation or going forwards, we have some quick fire questions. I should, I should have done my uh, homework. Then. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> See, we'll, we'll do anything to get a few listens to old episodes. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, quick fire questions. They are a bit of fun. We will not hold you to your answers. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Um, on there. So first up, uh, Best car and worst car that you've ever driven and why? Uh, best car that I've driven, I am going to be loyal to uh, our team operations and say 570S GT4 McLaren because uh, it's actually the only GT race car that I've that I've actually ever driven. And we have obviously a number of them in the team. And, um, and that um, is by far and away the, uh, the best car that I've driven. Uh, so that one it's gets not stuff. limited to race cars either okay that one yeah as well so yeah i think um I, st- I still think it would get the uh get the win yeah for me okay. so the worst car worst yeah. car i've driven uh yeah. probably would be my uh citroen ax that i had um when i was about 19 years old and uh i think it was a time where I used to uh, to try and uh, raise money to go racing. I used to buy cars from auctions and sell them. And uh, and I, uh, I had a Citroen AX for a short while, and I remember that being absolutely the worst car that I drove. You, you can barely make it uphill, and every time a, a truck over, you know, came past on the other on the side of the other side of the road, it almost ripped the door off. Um, so, uh, Citroen AX definitely the worst car I've ever had. Second. Second that one. My first yeah. car you, my, my one. first car was a Citroen AX one litre debut plus. Uh, I can't that sounds like what I had, yeah. <laughs> and 
for my 17th birthday, as my dad does, you've got the box and it's got the uh, the screen wash and the de-iso and the furry dice in it and magnetic L-plates. The problem was there's not enough metal on this car to put... There's no metal on it, yeah. It's plastic. <laughs> so they end up sellotaping the rear window. <laughs> but, yeah, flat out downhill, it was topped out about 55 mile an hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next one. Best track and worst track to drive at? Best track for me, Silverstone Grand Prix circuit. Uh, I, I, as a driver, I've not, um, you know, despite the, you know, having been involved for a, a long time, mm. I haven't um, driven it. You know, a lot of the, uh, the big circuits that you know make up uh, the calendars that we race on now. But Silverstone Grand Prix circuit was always my favourite, and um, I, I still think it's an absolute classic. Uh, so Silverstone wins. Um, the worst track for me was um for a slightly different reason when we were uh running the Kevin mclaren program uh in uh, 2013 to 2015 tim and i um you know were responsible for organizing a um a series of international events and in our first year we went to a track in germany called bilsterberg which um most people wouldn't have heard of uh, it's a fantastic facility um it's in uh it's you know meticulously maintained it's absolutely it's very very picturesque but it's um it's been designed to sort of replicate i believe uh, a number of the corners off the uh, nordschleifer and uh it um but it seems to have done it in a way that makes it even more terrifying and uh we had to do a recce before the event started and and tim took me out in the passenger seat of a um mclaren 12c and uh, it's the first time I, I had to get him to pull over and, and let me out because I felt sick within about um, within about half a lap. So for me, uh, nice though the facility is, uh, worst track that I've um, been around, albeit passenger seat, has to be Bilsterberg in Germany. I suppose, yes, the, um, the Nordschleifer has got some very scary corners, but there's 10 very, very scary, scary corners there out of 160. At least you get yes. some respite between them. I've never heard of this yeah. Bilsterberg, but I shall try and download it on a it's, simulator somewhere. Yeah, go for it. It's uh, pretty extreme. You've obviously, you've probably tracked walked some of the bucket list circuits. Yes. Which, which one would you want to drive next? Um, well, it's... Um, it's a bit cliche, but it have to be Spa. You know, I've done so many events at Spa, uh, both race team GT and uh, McLaren, and uh, you know, race uh, you're running race teams. Mm. And uh, it is a track that I've been lucky enough to to walk around. Uh, but um, amazingly, I never had a chance to drive it. So, um, so that that would almost certainly be number one. Um, I was having this discussion actually with uh, some friends last night. Uh, about you know uh, bucketless circuits, and I think there are some some outliers like you know Laguna Seca, which I'd love to have a go mm. um, purely just for the corkscrew. Mm. Big Valentino Rossi fan, so uh, if you follow the motorbikes, you remember that's quite an iconic corner from um, you know a few years ago when he was um, racing against Casey Stoner and uh, Lorenzo and those guys. Um, and yeah, I'd love I'd love to race uh, or at least drive at Laguna Seca, but, but yeah. I think it has to be Spa. But I mean, where do you stop Bathurst? Um, God, there's so, there's so many, so many. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The mountain for me, or probably Pretoria Stolas from yes. Do you, do you remember GT One World Championship? Yes, yeah. But you know where they raced around the lake that was a volcano. Ah, uh, yes. Okay, yeah. The one yeah. in Argentina. 
Right, okay, yeah. I'd, I'd love to go there when racing's on there, and I'd love to shoot it, let alone drive it. Because There's it's some just, great tracks. Yeah. Sarah. So our next question is your ideal garage. Three cars, yeah. your ideal race car, your ideal road car, and your ideal play car. Wow. Any, t- okay. any time as well. Yeah, of, of, of all time. Okay. Um, right, okay. Uh, I will start with the ideal road car for me would be mm. Audi RS6, um, you know, the, for, for all-round performance. And mm. um, you know, it, it's just, yeah, uh, as an all-rounder. I'd say I'm unbeatable in my opinion. So Audi R6 for the uh, for the road car, um, play car. Uh, I would say would have to be uh, Ferrari F40. Uh, very much, uh, you know, the car to have. Uh, was new when I was growing up. Had the poster on the wall. Still think they look absolutely amazing. And we're lucky enough every now and then that one will come to some of our supercar track days. We've yeah. actually got one booked in for our. Donington track day in June and I can't wait to see it so um so I think the Ferrari F40 and um race car oh man what I go for I think um I think that of all time if it was I mean very much I'm a GT racing guy nowadays but growing up you know single seaters and formula 1 uh were were my thing so i think i'd have to say again probably a little bit of a cliche but um you know the car that got me into motorsport at the age of eight watching senna and prost racing the mp44 uh, mclaren Melbourne mclaren would have to be the one unfortunately it's probably as i said the sort of thing that most people would say so it's not very creative unfortunately but um it was watching those guys racing those cars that got me into motorsport in the first place and ended up leading to me uh, begging my dad to get me into go-kart racing at the age of 10. So, um, yeah, mm. I think that's my list. Do you know what? I think we've probably asked that question, what, 20, 25 times now? And we get different answers every time. Really? So don't assume I think that it's, they're I think they're it's the first single-seater we've had as well. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I think most people think because back then we were the British GT fan show. Of course, yeah. I think most most people want either a GT or a prototype because we're we're sports car people. We don't know these. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, I yeah. thought about a few uh, sports cars and um, prototypes, but yeah. Um, but I think yeah, that was the one that came to mind first. So as you probably... as you were saying, cliche Formula One. I sat there thinking, are we talking Alonso's two thousand and six car? Or are we talking the MP4? What number was it that Ayrton drove? It was exactly yes. what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And don't yeah. forget, you know, I worked for McLaren for eight years. So oh, yeah. seeing that car parked on the boulevard for MTC for all that time, you know, you can't help but uh, draw over it a little bit. One heck of an office building, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's oh. cool. Really cool. Mm-hmm. Well, so our last question and the one that's most feared by everybody <laughs> oh god <laughs> just because it's so an random yeah. yeah so thanks to vince at the checkered flag for putting this question onto our radar we've had some amazing answers to it uh we've had some really left field answers to it so do not think you can get any stranger than some of the answers we've already have but you've been given an elephant i've been given a given an elephant yeah yes. you can't sell it oh right okay and you What's can't the... kill it right 
But what yes. do you do with it? Oh my god! Uh, what would I do with an elephant if I can't? I can't sell it and I can't kill it. And you can't I, I, give it away. I was going to say, um, you know, I probably, I probably wouldn't want to kill it anyway. So um, uh, I can't give it away. I guess, you know, what I do, I'd have to start a nature reserve or something and, uh, you know, keep it there. What, what can you do in a, in an elephant? Oh, my God. I would say things like, you know, it'd be cool to ride an elephant, but I'm pretty sure that's uh, frowned upon nowadays and is uh, not, 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 not cool. So you'd have to sort of try and find somewhere to, uh, to look after it. Oh God! So it's, it's a purely fantasy question. Enough. So yeah. you know we're not massively politically correct, other than giving it yeah. away, starving yeah. it, and killing it, or <laughs> yes. otherwise. Yeah. But we've had—I uh, mean, Mia Fluitt was going to use it to add some downforce to the top of her car. Oh yeah, well uh, she's uh, much more creative than I am because she did say that and the the one problem with the five seventy is it lacks a little bit of front end sometimes. So if you parked a baby elephant on the bonnet, it might give it a bit more turning. Not if you drive for our team. <laughs> <laughs> We've also had it be someone's trip to the shop animal. Yeah. Go load it up with carry oh, bags. Yeah, my, 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 my answer was rubbish. No, yeah. no, but this is it. It's been really, really varied. We've had yeah. some absolutely left field. I'm still waiting for Nick's drawing of, of what Rick Parfit wants to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is basically full-on festival entrance, trim it up with lights. Yeah, basically crash it through <laughs> demon twigs and then ride it onto the stage at a gig. <laughs> wow, that's cool, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm going to, at the end of this, I'm going to regret having such a boring answer, but uh, as I said... No, no. I'm not, I'm not creative enough. No, no, it's, uh, it's, it's perfectly good. I mean, Mia did say that she doesn't want to offend the animal lovers. Yes. So she can't yeah. do this with it. So, so instead, she's just going to gaffer tape it. Yeah. We did have her turn it out into one of the parks in London and have it be a community owned elephant. That was Tom Hornsby, wasn't it? it he, was. does, he, he doesn't have a back garden. He wanted to give it a nice life, but he doesn't have a back garden. So he's going to put it on one of the commons. <laughs> so, anything and everything. Um, so, I think the only thing left to say is thank you very much for coming on. It's been really educational for me, at least, and I'm sure it would have been for our listeners. Um, I've certainly learned a lot, and it's really nice to kind of uh, speak to one of the now teams that was popping up forever when I was starting looking at the social media stuff for getting the podcast out. And I was like, mm. Nick, who are these? I've not seen them anywhere. Mm. <laughs> but you kept popping well, up from the track days and everything. Yeah, um, well, um, it's been great. Thanks for thanks for having us. And um, yeah, looking forward to the season ahead. So Yeah, and we'd love to have you back again at some point to discuss how things yeah, are going. anytime. Cool. I'll, I'll, I'll think of a better answer for that elephant question next time. <laughs> I have some more questions for you then as well. Yeah. And we'll come and say hello face to face at Alton Park because. Uh, yeah, I'll see you there. We both, we both got the good news that we've been accredited again. So Woo! brilliant. We'll be there. Yeah, you come and see us and, uh, and we'll uh, catch up in the garage. Indeed. Thanks, guys. And now, international news. Looking outside of the UK, there wasn't actually a lot of racing going on since the uh, since the events that we covered last time. What we have had is the final rounds of the Asian Le Mans series. Now, the Asian Le Mans series, obviously, as the name suggests, 
should be running in Asia, but due to the COVID-19 situation, which still persists quite heavily in, in the Far East, it's been run for the past two years as almost a festival of motorsport in the United Arab Emirates. Uh, last year, they ran two races at the Dubai Autodrome, followed a week later by two races at Abu Dhabi. And they've done the same thing again. The reason we're looking at this is because it was quite a good series if you happen to be either a British team or a British driver. The British team uh, in question in the top class here is Nielsen Racing. Uh, and they've won an invite to the 24 Hours of Le Mans by claiming the LMP2 title. It was a truncated championship, as I've said. Um, so they raced two races at the Dubai Autodrome and Nielsen Racing claimed both of those race wins. They then claimed second at the two races at the uh, Yash Marina circuit at Abu Dhabi uh, behind another British team, United Autosports. But as United Autosports were only entered for two rounds, they were ineligible for points, which means that Nielsen Racing had the opportunity of... of scoring points for four race wins and took points for four race wins. It's basically a perfect championship. Yeah. Matt Bell and Ben Hanley uh, were at the wheel of the Orica 07 Gibson, the number four car. They shared it with Rodrigo Sales, the American driver. Um, and as I say, first two races, they won outright. Second two races, they came second on the road and first on the scorecard. Uh, United Autosports had Josh Pearson, who is an American driver, and Paul DeResta, who, of course, races under British race licence. Despite the Italian-sounding name, you will know he's Scottish. All three drivers, uh, all, all three British drivers in LMP2 claimed race wins. So it was a, a, quite, quite a good week in, in, in the Middle East for British drivers. Nielsen Racing also took top step in the second four hours of Dubai with their number eight car. This was a Ligier JSP320. Uh, Colin Noble and Anthony Wells shared the driving, both on British licences. They failed to make the podium at any other rounds, uh, ended the series in fourth place. CD Sport, uh, racing another pair of Ligiers, took 1-2 in the final series standings in LMP3. Um, their leisures took the top two steps of every podium, except the third race, the first race at Abu Dhabi, where only the number 27 car made it onto the podium, and that's why they took the championship. In GT, um, looking at um, particularly British GT entries, Inception Racing with Optimum Motorsport. This is Ollie Milroy, Brendan Iribe, joined by Ben Barnicote uh, in the McLaren. They also had a car, a second car for Nick Moss, Andrew Watson, and Joe Osborne. The Brendan Iribe, Ollie Milroy, and uh, Ben Barnicote car took the championship. Um, won the opening round of the championship, took two second places at the First of all, the second race in Dubai and then the first race in Abu Dhabi. Uh, ended the season on a, a bit of a duffer, to be honest. They finished sick. They didn't make it onto the podium. But it was more than enough to seal the total title by two points from Herbert Motorsport. Uh, 
Now, if you look through the GT entry, it was A, extensive, and B, seeded throughout by British drivers. I think if I sat here and listed off where every British driver finished, you as the listeners would get bored to tears and I would deny me the ginger Pepsi she stockpile for me if I shut up and let us move on to British GT. British GT News. So in the news relating to British GT, we don't actually have any GT4 news to update you with at the moment as nothing has been announced, but we do have a bit of GT3 news. Um, And starting off, uh, the first bit of said GT3 news is related to what you've just heard and it's been covered in there but just to uh mention through there that our silver am 2021 gt3 champions Stuart and lewis proctor are returning to the intelligent money british gt championship for the upcoming 2022 season same mclaren 720s gt3 car change of livery and change of team uh as discussed in our interview just now uh, with Mark McCoughlin of Greystone GT, which we have to say we didn't see coming, did we, Nick? Yeah, no, this, this wasn't it, it expected. Um, I thought they were coming back with Balfe. Uh, even if they were come, weren't coming back with Balfe, I'd have, I'd have thought they'd have gone for one of the other teams that's run McLaren's in the championship before. But it's great to see another name coming into the series. Yeah. And it makes sense with what was being said in the interview as well about uh, the fact that they have worked with with Mark and other members of the Greystone team as well. So a bit of a reunite, reunification? Yes, something. <laughs> yes, it's... Uh... It's late, words are going. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what's next, Nick, on the news? Next up... Um... Is another bit of bad good news, kind of, in that we've lost one, but we've gained one. And this is that we are not getting Bentley Motorsport factory driver Andy Mayrick um, aboard the Assetto Motorsport Bentley for uh, 2022. Um, Andy Mayrick was originally scheduled to partner Mark Sanson, and a better partner for Mark would be difficult to find. Not only was he a former Bentley Motorsport factory driver, uh, quite intimately involved in developing the car that Mark's going to be racing this year, uh, but he's also uh, had experience at other very high-level racing series he's, uh, and racing efforts. Um, the one that springs immediately to mind for me was a Delta Wing prototype that he raced in IMSA. Um, Competing commitments have, have made Andy Mayrick withdraw from the effort. Uh, we don't know what those competing commitments are, but hopefully, given the exciting time that it is in international endurance racing work now, he's managed to land himself a factory deal in an LMDH car, because um, I'd love to see him back in a prototype. But the team have had to go looking for somebody to fill the spot at short notice, and that, that they found somebody that should be able to do the job. Um, in the form of former GT4 champion, Will Tregurtha. Uh, so he is going to race alongside Mark Sanson. It does mean that the car changes its entry slightly. 
um, obviously with a, a seasoned prototype driver at the wheel, the car was definitely pro-am. Uh, this being Will's first full season in GT3, in British GT, uh, it does mean that the entry can be sl slipped into the silver AM class. It does make the class the most diverse class in the championship, with four different brands for four different entries, Bentley joining Lamborghini, Mercedes-AMG and McLaren. Moving on to our next piece of news then. Uh, Sean Balf is returning to the driver's seat in the top class of the British GT Championship with a new for 22 machine in the championship, which is a bit of a change. Uh, we've been very used to seeing him in his McLaren. However, this year they will be bringing an Audi R8 LMS Evo. Uh, now, they were racing this on the continent last year, but opted not to race in British GT. Uh, with Sean behind the wheel, instead running Stuart and Lewis Proctor in Silver Am. But this year, Sean is back with the 2022-spec 20, Audi, so it's now upgraded to Evo 2, um, with Adam Carroll as his co-driver, which, of course, is a name that we've heard before, um, and that means that the car will be entered as Pro-Am. Um, now, I mentioned we know the name Adam Carroll. Uh, he's, of course, won for Barwell, in Alton Park uh, back in 2016 and he's also raced Ferraris in the championship with FF Corsa uh, also back in the day between 2014 and 2016. And talking about teams returning to GT3 with different cars, um, Fox Motorsport, Nick Halstead and Jamie Stanley uh, moving onwards and upwards in 2022. They switched from the McLaren 570S GT4. It took second place in GT4 Pro-Am last year. Uh, they've now got themselves a 720S GT3. The effort continues to be run by Fox, as I've said, who have had sporadic experience in the top class of, of British GT. And this is where I say they're coming back with a different car. Because previously, Fox Motorsport have run Ferraris in the top class. In 2013... They raced a Ferrari F430 in GT3B. And then in 2016, they made the UK debut, actually, for the Ferrari 488 GT3. I've got a picture of it by Ian Cunningham up on the wall of my study. It's above my laptop right now. It was a beautiful-looking car. Um, but that raced the Silverstone 500 in 2016. So Fox Motorsport stepping up to British GT3 with a McLaren. So a little bit of difference there as well. Continuing the theme of returning cars, this is one that uh, Nick certainly didn't peg for the entry list when he was uh, throwing it through, but I'm really glad to see they're coming back uh, for a full season as they turned up for a single round uh, last year, which they won uh, after a quite successful debut season the year before, two seas motorsport are back. Uh, they will be entering a full season entry car. We don't know what it's going to look like yet. Uh, they've confirmed the new livery will be unveiled just before the opening round, which of course is back to its usual spot at Easter weekend at Alton Park. The driver pairing has been announced as James Cottingham and Lewis Williamson. James 
was racing last year in a couple of round by round races. Uh, so we did see a little bit of him, but he said he's really excited to commit to a full season of modern motorsport, having spent the last 20 years uh, primarily racing in various historic disciplines. Now, his partner, Lewis Williamson, is a former McLaren Autosport BRDC Young Driver of the Year award winner. And he's got good knowledge of the Mercedes AMG GT3 that they'll be driving from his time with Stracker Racing. Uh, where he took the 2018-19 Fanatec GT World Challenge Europe Pro-Am Championship, uh, scoring class podiums at Bathurst and Spa, and also finished second overall at the Suzuka 10 Hours. Three more intimidating racetracks to go out and uh, score podiums at. Very, very hard (laughs) to find. And I will point out in my defence, last time I put them on a guesstimated entry list, I had them down for two cars and neither turned up, so I thought I'd play it safe. (laughs) It was welcome news for me. Indeed. Randomly, I didn't tell you this, but I woke up going, I know what this is, it's going to be two Cs, and I don't know where that came from. Right, okay, do me a favour, next time you wake up, buy me a lottery (laughs) ticket. (laughs) <laughs> but my brain literally like had the announcement, not the drivers or anything, just Well, with James Cotter with James Cottingham, if I was gonna put him in a car for this year, I'd have put him in the second RAM car. Yeah, well, likewise, because it... that's what he did last year. His round by round entries were yes. in the, the blue and yeah. la- last, weren't they? But yeah, no word of a lie. I woke up that morning and I'd got mm. the blue two C's Mercedes in my head. My word. And it's like Oh, and then I did it at Toby, didn't I? Because I said that it'd be the the Ram. Yeah, you did. I said it'd be the second Ram. Right. So managing the guesstimated entry list for British GT is your job from now on. Then <laughs> moving onwards in the news, Enduro Motorsport and Team Abba Racing have both revealed new looks ahead of the new season. Okay, uh, this is cars that will run in both British GT and in GT Cup. By the way. Team ABBA are stuck to the traditional black and green, but they've gone for an asymmetrical pattern on the Mercedes-AMG. I'm going to interject here because I know that Nick isn't the biggest fan of this, whereas I quite like it. Of what, the black and green? Yeah. You said you weren't sold on it. I, I'm not sold on asymmetrical liveries. I, 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 I do like it when the two sides of the car match. But as you you told me, you, you'd seen Sam Neary on near the Twitter or Instagram saying, well, when you can't decide between the two liveries, go for both. So, which seems to be what they've done. The, the really newsworthy and um, controversial part of this piece comes from Enduro Motorsport um, because they've got a new sponsor. Main sponsor. Uh, a new, yeah, a new main sponsor on the car. They've moved Zipcar to a slightly smaller location. And the biggest logo also brings a change of colour, uh, is OnlyFans. Now, I know all of our listeners are good, God-fearing people who would never know what OnlyFans is about. Uh, but uh, purely from the rumour mill, of course, I understand that OnlyFans is a place where those uh, who like to support their adult video stars uh, can go almost like Patreon, but for shall we say, creative endeavours of a bluer nature. I mean, to be honest, it doesn't matter on your opinion of what the sponsor's used for. It does make for for two new liveries, which are refreshingly different, but they maintain enough of the old livery to, 
just to remind us why we liked them so much last year. Uh, the next bit of news, which came in pretty recently, as in yesterday, uh, is the that of the second Ram Racing Mercedes AMG GT3 lineup being confirmed. Uh, didn't guess at this driver lineup, as Nick said, we kind of thought maybe it might have been James Cottingham having done the round by round entries there. Uh, but I'm obviously apparently on form because I uh, could probably find witnesses to attest to the fact that we were stood in the queue at Toby Carvery for a... And I was saying, I don't know what it is, but it's a good one according to, to British GT. So I doubt it be one that's already been half made. <laughs> How wrong was I? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that lineup has been confirmed. And again, a little bit unexpected as we have another pairing that have kind of moved across and up. Uh, as John Ferguson and Jamie Caroline, who were previously uh, driving the Toyota Gazoo Racing UK GT4 car, uh, filling the gap in Ram's lineup, which Sam DeHaan has left, having gone off to race in Europe. And that leads us to leads us to the last bit of news we've got, and it's uh, basically saying here that. The prizes for last season have now been awarded. Dennis Lind, Yelma Berman, Ian Loggy uh, joined at the SRA Motorsports Group Award Ceremony by Stuart Proctor, representing respectively the overall Pro-Am and Silver-Am champions in GT3. Only Lewis Proctor and Leo Machitsky were unable to attend the event. Uh, we don't know why Lewis wasn't available, but we think that Leo Machitsky wasn't able to attend as a result of the response, the Motorsport UK response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now, I don't want to get into the politics of this because it is quite frankly the politics don't need to be sp- need to be spoken about. Um, unfortunately, Motorsport UK have received the FIA's decision on on what's to happen. Uh, the FIA said that. Russian teams would not be allowed, but Russian drivers could sign a document uh, which stated their neutrality and race under the FIA's flag if they wanted to. Motorsport UK have gone a step further and they have said that no Russian race licenses will be recognised in the UK. Or Belarusian. Or Belarusian as well. Um, Well well put. Um, And that, unfortunately... Affects Leo Machitsky because despite the fact he's been in the UK for an awful lot of years, um, and has, as far as anybody's aware, absolutely nothing to do with what's taken place uh, between his his birth country and Ukraine. Um, he does race under a Russian license, and therefore. His license uh, basically is uh, his license isn't good in the UK anymore. Now, as far as we're aware, Leo is unable to defend the championship that he claimed last year, which is uh, obviously his second British GT overall title. Uh, we have reached out to Barwell to confirm or or clarify. To confer- not to, to clarify our interpretations, but every place that I know to go to to check the status of somebody's license, uh, basically, if there's a Russian flag on their belt, it's a Russian license. 
uh, and everywhere that Leo is recorded as having race, he has a little Russian flag next to his name. So as far as we can determine, his race license is Russian. Um, but we have, say, asked for clarification from Barwell and asked if they'd like to make a statement. They haven't at this time, but they may decide to. Um, and when we get more information, of course, we'll share it with you. On the subject of Barwell, team boss Mark Lemmer was there to receive the GT3 teams title. Of course, Barwell tied that one up uh, around early this year, didn't they? They did indeed. Uh, moving on to GT4, uh, Century Motorsport, of course, took the GT4 teams title, which was collected by team boss Nathan Three. Uh, along with drivers Gus Burton and Will Burns, the GT4 overall title winners, um, and also Silver Cup champions and Pro-Am title winners Darrington and Matt Topham were also in attendance. And the awards weren't just restricted to victories on the racetrack either. There were three additional awards uh, which fall under the head heading of British GT News. Uh, James Baldwin, uh, who you will remember from the Team Rocket RJN GT3 car of 2020. And Nils Nyox, the uh, British GT eSports racing driver. Uh, both had real-world recognition for their virtual world um, exploits. Uh, James Baldwin won the GT3 class in the British GT eSports series around early. And Nils claimed the GT4 title in a nail-biting uh, final race on Assetto Corsa Competizione. Both of them picked up their awards for their championship-winning runs. Lauren Granville picked up an award as well for on behalf of the, the series. Uh, she is the SRO's championship manager for British GT, uh, which earned a special sustainability trophy which recognises the efforts of British GT to lower its, lower its carbon footprint. The first round of British GT last year held at Brands Hatch was also the first SRO organised round ever to feature a fully carbon neutral race entry. So as a slightly evangelist EV driver that's recognising what we need to do for the planet, go British GT! Thanks for listening to the British Sports Car Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on socials at BritSC Podcast. This podcast is a Storm Vixen created production in conjunction with RPS Driven Media.